that confident that I'm actually recording this. Um, so if anyone knows how it works, as long as it's there's a, a yep, numbers one, we're good. Okay. I've taught my senior pastor, I don't know, 80 times how to use the recorders at our church and always make fun of them for never knowing how. So I guess this is, is payback for that. Um, so my name is Dan Seidelman. I'm a pastor up in uh, Commerce Township at Union Lake Baptist Church. So, I mean, it's like 12 miles from here, but it's a 45-minute drive because of all the lakes. And apparently there's traffic on Sunday mornings. I did not expect that, but <laughs> that's, that's the way it works. I'm associate pastor up there. I do um, discipleship, youth ministry, mix of a little bit of everything. Um, so it's good to be with you this morning. Um, so I want to just talk about forgiveness for our Sunday school time together. And I feel like for Christians, forgiveness is always pretty much a relevant subject, right? We're constantly in need of forgiving others, and we're constantly in need of forgiveness ourselves. We need to be forgiven. I mean, if you think about it, forgiveness is the capstone of Christianity, right? We are a religion that, that, worship it, that worships our Savior who forgave us, and then one of the primary things that we do because we've been forgiven is we go out and we forgive others. I mean, you have statements like um, the one Jesus makes in Matthew six fourteen. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So when Jesus thinks about forgiveness, he makes it the litmus test to decide, okay, are you truly or are you not a Christian? And it's all dependent upon if you have this fruit of forgiveness. Um, so, so if Jesus thinks of forgiveness that strongly, I think it's probably worth the next what do I have, half hour or so. How long does Sunday school last? Yeah, about 10.45. 10.45? Oh, even better. Um, <laughs> next 45? 40 minutes. 30. I can't do math. 35 or so <laughs> to, to talk about forgiveness. Uh, so if you would, turn over to 1 John chapter 1. And uh, while we're there, what I want to do is to talk about right and wrong ways to think about sin and to think about forgiveness. Um, so 1 John 1, chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me explain why I'm going to 1 John 5 for this. Or 1 John 1, 5. Uh, the church that John is writing to recently had a church split in it. Um, there's a lot of members in the church who left because they claimed, okay, we are the enlightened Christians. We have some sort of special knowledge, some sort of special ability that all these Joe Schmo Christians out there just don't have. The guys who left, they were some sort of cult. They were a heretical sect. There's these people that denied the gospel. That's clear in retrospect. Claiming, yeah, we don't, we don't sin anymore. But in the moment, I don't know if you've ever been part of a church split. I've, I've been through a few of them. When your friends leave, when your trusted pastors leave, when those that you've done life with for years on end leave, it's not so clear who's right and who's wrong. Rather, you're just in pain. You're asking questions. You need comfort. 
And you need somebody from the outside to answer, okay, what's, what's going on? Are we the ones in the right? Should we stay? Or are they the ones that are right? Should we, should we leave? And so John writes to this church with, uh, with answers and with comfort. And one of the things he addresses is the claim of those who left. See, the, these guys that left, they said, you know what, we don't sin like you people. I, I mean, goodness gracious, Jesus Christ came. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He has given us new hearts. He's removed this heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. How could we then sin? I mean, if Jesus truly is who he says he is, there's no way I have any sin left in my life. But in denying their sin, what they actually were doing was denying the gospel. Now, I, knowing your pastor, I assume none of you would say, you know, theologically, based on your doctrine, oh yeah, of course, I don't, I don't ever sin in my life. I mean, do we have spouses that I can talk to just to make sure that um, we, we can not make this claim? Um, no, no Christians say, yeah, I never sin. But practically speaking, I think a lot of Christians, I mean, I know this is true of myself, act like I don't actually sin. I, I think a lot of us have the same spirit in us as those Christians, not Christians, those church members who left the church because we have this attitude that says, I don't actually sin. So, so let me explain what I mean as we go through this text. But um, let me read John's words to us because I think they're going to be deeply relevant. So 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 5 through 10. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So uh, the outline of where we're going this morning is simply this. I want us to see a reality and a problem and then two wrong ways to fix that problem, right? So we have a reality and a problem, and then one way to fix the problem, which is wrong, and how we correct that, and then a second way to fix that problem, which is also wrong, and the correction there. Um, so four points, reality, problem, solution one, solution two. Um, so here's the, here's the reality that we see in our text, that God is a God of light. Uh, we see this in verse 5, right? This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. The reality is a fact about the character of God, that he is light, in him is no darkness. Light and darkness cannot exist together. Um, so for 10 years in college, seminary, and then a little bit of time after that, uh, I lived in Kentucky. I went to school in Louisville, met my wife there. She's from southern Kentucky, so we traveled around the state to see family a little bit. And all over Kentucky you have, have caves where you have, you know, if you're adventurous, you go spelunking. If you're 
what, easily manipulated, you go to the tourist traps. Um, I am easily in that second category. All over the state, everyone's the exact same. It's a, it's a cave tour tourist trap. And um, so you go into the gift shop, you pay your overpriced admission, they give you a little, like a Dollar Tree Halloween costume hard hat and a flashlight they got at the same place. Um, both look like they're not going to work at all for you. The hard hat, of course, is because of the stalagmites, stalactites, whichever one's up high, uh, the low ceilings, and of course, because then they can send you a, or take a cute family picture and sell it to you at the end and make a little bit more money. Um, and you always buy the pictures in the hard hats. Uh, the flashlight is because when you're 100 feet underground, there's no light down there. Um, so you go, you take your little tour, they tell you the history, the bats, the miners, all of that. Um, and at some point in the tour, they're going to say, okay, everybody stand still and turn off your flashlights together. And, and you do it, and there is complete utter darkness. You put your hand here, you can't see it. Darker than anything you experience, even, you know, in the darkest night away from the city light. But then as soon as one person turns on their cheap dollar store flashlight with batteries that needed to be replaced about two weeks ago, you know, that darkness is completely dispelled. Pure darkness and light cannot exist together. You have either light where you can see or darkness. They don't mix. If we had more time this morning, I would show you that in John's mind, when he says God is light, he's saying that it's a, it's a metaphor of this idea of, you know, God is truth. He is knowledge. He is goodness and life and beauty and righteousness and justice and understanding. These are all these kinds of metaphors that John uses with the term light. And so when he says that God is light, he's saying God is this perfect, beautiful being, and with him there can be absolutely no darkness. That is the nature of light. So that's the reality of who God is, which leads us to a problem, right? If you and I are sinners, then how can we have fellowship with the God who is light? If God is righteous and sinless, how can people like me and you who are unrighteous and have darkness in us have fellowship with him, right? Fellowship doesn't exist between light and dark. And this is the key question of, I mean, this is the key question of all religion, actually. How can bad people have fellowship with a good and righteous God? We know something is wrong with us, so how do we fix it? And, and the false teachers who left um, from this church, they had two ideas of how we might deal with this issue. Um, how to solve this conundrum of fellowship between light and people who are sinful. Um, that's what we have in the rest of the text. Two solutions and then the corrections to them. So the solutions that they have are this. First, let's just say our sins don't actually matter. And then the second is saying, let's say I don't actually sin. Um, so we'll deal with these one at a time and then get the corrections as we go. So, so the first way to fix this problem of God being light, us having sin, how do we get the fellowship back together, is to say, yeah, I have sin, but it doesn't actually matter. I'm getting this from verses 6 and 7, which reads like this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this is our solution of saying, yeah, I walk in darkness, 
and I have fellowship with God. What's, what's the big problem here? I mean, maybe we even pad this with doctrine if, if we want to, right? God is a God of grace. I know I am sinful. The gospel isn't dependent upon my behavior. So I can sin as much as I want, and it doesn't matter. God's going to forgive me. I mean, my job is to sin. God's job is to forgive. Isn't that how this transaction works? And like I said, no one's hopefully saying this out loud. But a lot of times we live with the same attitude. Um, so I have a wife. We've been married six years. A three-year-old daughter. Anybody ever have a three-year-old daughter before? Um, and a nine-week-old son. He's two months, but nine weeks because of how the months work, I guess. There's not a ton of sleep. There are a ton of tears in our house. Um, and when my temper flares up at my wife or at my kids, what I want to do is I want to just ignore it and move on. I don't have time to deal with, you know, my own sin. I'm saying, yeah, my sin is not that big of a deal. It doesn't actually matter. Sure, I spoke harshly to you. I raised my voice sinfully because you weren't obeying. But, like, that, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? Like, it's not a big deal, of course. Just let's get over it. Let's move on. And let's ignore my sin and just keep living our lives. Or when we justify our sin by saying, you know, I, I sin, but not, not like he does, right? I mean, I sin, but I don't sin. Like, I mean, maybe some of, I don't know who you guys, if, if this was my church, I'd call someone out. It'd be hilarious, but that's not <laughs> what I'm going to do here. Um, or if we'd be like, you know what? Yeah, I sin, but it could be a lot worse. Right? It's not like I had an affair. It's just looking at stuff on my phone. It, you know, there's a difference between yelling and hitting. My sin is not that big of a deal. You know what they say about sticks and stones? It's not a, don't worry about it. We like to downplay our sin and say, okay, this doesn't really matter. I can have fellowship with a God of light and walk in darkness at the same time. Of course I'm going to sin. Let's just ignore it and move on with our lives. But God says if we make this claim, then we uh, lie and we do not have fellowship with the truth. No one who continually walks in darkness, who says, I live a life of sin, but it's not a big deal, is a Christian. They are making a bold-faced lie. Uh, but, but how do we correct this? Look at verse 7 with me. It says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So if you're walking in darkness, it means you're a liar. But if we walk in light, that's the solution. Darkness is a, light, a life of sinning. Darkness is a life of sinning. So walking in the light would be what? It's tempting to say, well, if darkness means sinning, walking in the light means never sinning. But we can't say that, right? Because look at verse 10 with me. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we can't say, okay, walking in the light is having absolute moral perfection, never sinning, never disobeying the Lord. Rather, walking in the light is walking in a relationship of being open and honest before God and before others. It's confessing our sins to God, repenting of them, turning from them. It's not perfection, but it's continual repentance and seeking forgiveness. 
it's saying, I'm not going to ignore my sin. I'm going to own my sin for what it is. I'm going to repent of it, ask the Lord for forgiveness of it, and turn from it. And forgiveness through walking in the light is the way to joy and fellowship. Not ignoring our sin. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking primarily about being forgiven by God, but look at verse 7 again, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. What's it say? You don't interact. It says, what's it, it says, we have fellowship with one another. That's good. I won't expect any amens or anything during the sermon. That's just nice and quiet. Right? We have fellowship with one another. That, that kind of surprises you, doesn't it? Um, but if you go back to verse 3 and 4, which we didn't read this morning, you'll see that in John's mind. This is all a package deal. You don't get God as your father without Jesus as your older brother, the indwelling spirit, and having this church that is, surrounds you. They all work together. I mean, let me just read this real quick. Um, John 1, 3 and 4. Uh, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you have made that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So a key aspect to salvation is not just you know, walking in fellowship with the God of light, though that's essential. It's also walking in fellowship with one another, with your brothers and sisters. Forgiveness doesn't just make you right with God, though it certainly does that. It's not less than that, but it's also to unite you with one another. So when we walk in the light, confessing our sins, not ignoring them, we have fellowship with God and with one another. And the second result here is that Jesus' blood actually cleanses us from those sins. I mean, as we live in the light and confess our sin, Jesus continually cleans us. He scrubs us. He makes us clean. He gives us righteousness so that we can have this fellowship with the God of light. Jesus has an ongoing work in us. He keeps cleaning us. <clears throat> he keeps changing us when we confess our sins rather than ignoring them. Again, that's in verse 7. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So don't ignore your sins like these false teachers did, but rather confess them, repent of them, turn from them, and as a result, you'll get joy and fellowship with one another and also cleansing and righteousness from God. So that's bad, bad way to fix this problem, number one. Yeah, there's an issue. God is like, I have darkness. So let me just ignore my darkness and, and have fellowship with God. The second way that these false teachers and that we deal with our sin is to say, I don't actually sin. Um, we're recording this. That's okay. Nobody will find this. Like, my wife, she's not here. She's, she's at our church. Often tells me that, like, every time we get in a disagreement that I basically feel like I'm, I've rear-ended someone, where my default is never admit fault in anything. Like, maybe that's a good idea for insurance. That's a bad idea for marriage. Um, but that's what we do all the time. We claim that we do not actually sin. I mean, verse 8 says it plainly. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
Or in verse 10, John repeats himself. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his truth is not in us. We see this attitude when we just flat out refuse to admit that we've ever, at least in this instance, done anything wrong. So again, to go back to my my three-year-old, right? When I lose my temper towards her, maybe I don't ignore it. Maybe it's, you know, I have to admit, okay, that was not, you know, grade A parenting right there. But I do say, well, I am called to make my daughter obey. I am called by God to parent her. And the only way that I can get her to listen to me is if I raise my voice and she understands the severity of the situation. That's what I have to do because that's the only way that I can parent. I'm saying, I don't have sin in this. I refuse to say what I did was wrong because it, it just is justified by something else, right? This clearly isn't wrong for me to do this. I am not sinful in it. Or when we, I mean, goodness gracious, I see this almost every day in conversations. We're harboring bitterness towards somebody else. And, and when you get confronted on your bitterness, you say, well, if you had experienced what I'd experienced, then it would all make sense to you. It's not a big deal. My circumstances justify my sin. Um, it's not wrong because of what I went through. I mean, we watched far too many, you know, serial killer, you know, TV shows, detective, murder, mystery, all of those kind of shows. I don't know why. That's basically all that's on TV anymore is, is you know, detective shows. And every time when they catch the guy at the end, they always have that little monologue of, yeah, I mean... I can see how this got a little bit out of hand, but you need to understand my circumstances. This was the only way for me to seek out justice is to take the law into my own hands. There's, there's never, an ep- I mean, I don't know many serial killers personally, but from what I've seen on TV, there is never someone who's like, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty bad dude for, for killing people. They're always like, no, my circumstances make this right. Or, you know, when we claim that this is just the way I am. I'm just an anxious person. I, I'm just a sarcastic person. I'm just a pugnacious, you know, fighting kind of spirit. I was born this way. This is who I am. You can't say that my personality is wrong and sinful here. I mean, I took the Myers-Briggs test, and it says my personality te- my type is a J-E-R-K. So don't tell me that I'm sinful for who I am. And John says, if we believe those things, and if we act in these ways, then we're self-deceived. We're fooling ourselves into a lie. And again, the truth is not in us. We're not a Christian. We have not received the gospel if we claim we don't ever sin. But we have this amazing correction in verse 9, right in the middle of the two statements I read in 8 and 10. Verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins, again, walking in the light, confessing sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
when we own our sins for what they are. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say I did right in my sin. I'm not gonna deny it. When we confess it, God's going to forgive us. He's going to cleanse us. He's not going to count our sins against us, which is great on our own. But like I said before, he's actually going to cleanse us of them. And look at the, the confidence we have in confession. God is faithful and he is just. That's what it means to be a God of light, that he is faithful. He's faithful because he's promised this. In Isaiah 55, 7, for example, I mean, there's a hundred verses we could go to. The Lord writes, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that the Lord may have compassion on him, and to our God, who will abundantly pardon. God's faithful. He's going to keep his promise to forgive and to cleanse. It's also just. I mean, what does it mean that God is just? It means that if we confess our sins to God, it would be wrong for him to hold them against us. It means that God would not be righteous to condemn us rather than forgiving us. I mean, each year, this happened two weeks ago for me, every end of September, I have to make the worst phone call of the year um, because our promotional rate for Comcast is ending and I have to call them, threaten to cancel, otherwise my bill goes up 400% for the next year. Um, so I call them and say, hey, let me, I need to cancel my internet. My promotional rate's ending. I don't want to pay whatever it is that you're going to charge me. Um, let me cancel. I'm like, well, let me toss you around to 10 other people. And so I just start making all of these empty threats on the phone, right? You know, I'm going to go to AT&T. I'm going to not have the internet like a millennial can actually do that. Whatever. Um, and they're empty threats because there's only two internet companies at my house. I have Comcast. I have AT&T. Even without the promotional rate, Comcast is still cheaper. It's still faster. Like, I'm not going to leave them. And, but I can't really offer them proof. You know, it's like, hey, give me, give me a good reason. Show me the competitor's price. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Just cancel it. And eventually I get, you know, the supervisor, supervisor, supervisor to give me the cheaper rate for another year. That, that's not at all how Jesus acts as our advocate. He actually has a case of why the Father should forgive our sins. No, no, not should, must forgive our sins if we confess them. Because Jesus Christ, it says in verse 9, is our propitiation. It doesn't say that in verse 9. It says that in uh, chapter 2, verse 2. He's a propitiation for our sins, which is a big word. It, it just means that Jesus, by his death, paid the price that sin deserves, right? The wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid those wages. He paid for my sins by his death. So Jesus' case before the Father for me is, Father, do not judge Dan for what he did because you have already judged me for what Dan did. And if if Christ died in my place, if Christ died in your place and paid for your sins, then it would be unjust for God to take a second payment by not forgiving you. And so in verse 9, we see that forgiveness is the just, righteous thing for God to do because Jesus died and rose from the grave. So we don't want to err in a 
second way either, right? To deny our sins. Because denying our sin makes us a liar. Rather, we confess them and we know that God is faithful. God is just. God is righteous. God is a God of light. And we know the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins to be our atoning sacrifice. So we can confess with bold confident assurance that we will have forgiveness rather than denying our sin and just moving on with our lives. So if I was just to boil everything down in conclusion, I would say this. Joy and fellowship with God and one another can never come by ignoring your sins or by denying your sins, but rather only through confession and forgiveness. And this is, all, this is all based on the gospel. The gospel is the core that kind of shoots out all of these glorious truths, right? We don't just confess and hope in the darkness that we're going to be forgiven, that we're going to, you know, somehow our confession is a magical link that connects us to the God of light. No, we confess our sins with absolute certainty that Christ will forgive us because he paid for our sins. So, so when we come to think about forgiveness, right? I said forgiveness is kind of the capstone of Christianity. We are forgiven people, and thus we forgive people. We, we shouldn't fall into the trap of saying, okay, yeah, my sins were forgiven by God, and now I forgive others, but I don't really need forgiveness anymore. I already got that. Now I'm good to go. I'm cruising, you know, in a fast lane of perfection. Others need to be forgiven. Maybe Dan should have, you know, given me a lesson on how to forgive others. You should meet my family. They are terrible people, but I, I, I've got things pretty much together. We're all on both sides of this equation, right? We are constantly sinning. We are constantly being sinned against. But in order to have joy and fellowship with the God of light, we don't ignore it or deny it. We confess. We walk in the light as God is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another. And we do this remembering the glorious truths of the gospel. How God forgave us in Christ. How God has already shown his... his, his um, disposition, his, his position towards us is one of forgiveness, one that's willing to pay for our sins at the cost of his son. So we don't have fear, we don't deny, we don't ignore. Rather, with bold, confidence, confident assurance, we can approach the throne of grace and ask for forgiveness from God and from one another. Um, I'll, I'll pray to close us early at that, but you guys do questions at Sunday school? Is that a thing? Can it be a thing? If not, I'm happy to take a few minutes and try and clarify where I wasn't clear up front. Or not. All right, well, let me, let me pray for us then and, and close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness, that your justice and your righteousness don't lead you to just wipe us out with no hope, but that your righteousness leads you to be merciful to your people. So I pray that, um, that for those who have not experienced your forgiveness,
that they would, that they would see your kindness and your beauty, that they would desire fellowship with you, the God of light, and that they would receive your forgiveness as they turn from their sins and trust Christ's payment. Lord, I pray for those who have received your forgiveness that we would be people who forgive, that we would be people who are willing to take up the costly price of forgiving others when they sin against us. And I pray that we would be people humble enough to confess our sins when we sin and ask for forgiveness from you and for others. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't ignore our sin, that we wouldn't deny it, but that we would walk in openness and humility, that we would walk in light, and that you would give us joy and fellowship with you, and that you would give us fellowship with one another based on the, the perfect, forgiving blood of your Son. And we pray this in his name. Amen.